Welcome to the Entrepreneurial Journey Podcast. I'm Rebecca Bonington and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Tricress. We're here to make it happen for every single ambitious, small to medium-sized business on the planet. How do we do that? We have a range of fantastic tools and techniques to scale your business to the next level. So there's no need to be lonely. There's no need to be confused. We can map out your future growth with you as you grow. We train partners in our methodology and if you want to be one of our partners, go to our website tricrest.com, find out more. And as a business, you can access all our content online via our Fuel My Business app. Find that at tricrest.com too. Without further ado, I'm going to let you listen to our guest this week. Our guests all have run businesses of one kind or another, and they're either at the beginning, middle, or end of their entrepreneurial journeys. So listen, learn, enjoy, and subscribe. Welcome to the Entrepreneurial Journey podcast. Today I have Fiona McKinnon with me. Hello, Fiona. How are you? Hello, Rebecca. I'm very well, thank you. Good. And Fiona is, are you founder and CEO? What's your title, Fiona? That'll do for today, yes. The the person that wears many hats. (laughs) Of the moment company. Uh, And we were just saying before you came on that I know you from somewhere, as you're in Hove and I'm in Edinburgh, but we've met in London via the Scottish Business Network. So we have met in real life before COVID. So hello again. Hi. <laughs> right. Tell tell me what the moment company does, because it's really interesting. Let me turn my email off. That's okay. Uh, yeah. So um, moment company, we are a mental fitness and well-being business. Uh, so we are on mission to help people understand that they can reduce stress, they can improve resilience, they can improve their mental fitness by just learning to take small, short, mindful breaks throughout the busy day. And it's not always about finding 20 minutes twice a day in our day to sit and meditate and that's how we build up our mental strength and and also clarity in our minds but there's so many ways that we can bring mindfulness we can bring breath work and we can bring the power of understanding our minds and our mindset more clearly into everything that we do and really that was born out of our own personal felt experiences so I always say the best testimonials for what we do is is who we are as founders today because we were very different people 10 years ago. Ooh, what sort of person <laughs> 10 years ago, Fiona? Uh, I'm told, you know, often, often we don't realise how we go through life, right? We just get up in the morning and we let the, the merry-go-round take us and, you know, or like the waltzers, it spins us off wherever it chooses. Um, so we don't often recognize how we're showing up and how people see us. But I am told 
that I was an angry person and I was told that my default energy was one of frustration and anger and I was quite spiky in my approach and my communication with people um, but obviously I had no idea of it but it was because I was living in a I'm working in an extremely stressful environment. I was actually suffering from burnout. And when I look back on reflection, probably mental health issues, but I didn't know how to recognize it. I didn't know how to address it. And I certainly didn't have any of the tools in place to do anything about it or to speak to anyone because in the corporate world and the startup world, you get on with it and you crush it and you don't say anything. And 24 seven is a badge of honor. So now on reflection, I can understand why that was how I was presenting myself because I was internally and emotionally burnt out. Yeah, you look like the least angry person <laughs> I've ever met. Honest. Thanks. I've been working on it. Good. Uh, okay. So, what what changed then? What what made you less angry? Was it a course? Was it a book? What what was the trigger that set you on this path that you you now on? Well, I would say that the, <laughs> I don't recommend everybody does this by any way, pitch or form, but it was complete physical and mental exhaustion and breakdown. It was when the rug gets taken away from you and you have to actually stop. I was forced to stop and redress the merry-go-rounds, the waltzer <laughs> that I was on. And um, someone had given me the power of now to read Eckhart Tolle. And I just thought, what a crock of no, not for me, nonsense, stuff in your mind. That's woo-woo, that's for somebody else. No. <laughs> and the point is that the time that they gave it to me, I wasn't ready. I wasn't open to doing it. But by having that period of enforced rest, and I actually quit the corporate world for a while as well. I became curious about what had happened to me. I started to read, I started to listen to guided meditations. I, I went to therapy um, I looked after my physical body first as well. And listening to people like Brene Brown, uh, Sean Aker, Robin Sharma, um, Abraham Hicks, I, I became more and more curious that there was maybe something in all of this mindset stuff. And then that led me to start practicing transcendental meditation, which completely changed everything for me by having a regular short but regular practice made all the difference and then from that I became curious in other modalities so I trained in Reiki I'm an NLP practitioner mindfulness and and also I facilitate breath work um, uh, sessions as well and it just seems to kind of grow it's almost like once you unlock one level you're curious to know what else you know you can do and how else you can feel and so I'd say it's been a, a slow and gradual build over 10 years of just doing little things every day that work for me and some things don't and they get dropped and yeah. then other things kind of come in as it feels right as well so journaling is a big part of what I do as well and so it's really that small things over time that became the theme of moments and when I met my other co-founders who I'd known from my previous life and we'd all suffered burnout in our digital media environments and that's what led us to to bring all of our experience together to to create moments oh that is lovely you're right as you 
is you unlock one level of your unconscious mind, you suddenly realize there's another level. Mm. You unlock that one and you're like, oh, there's another level. And you're like, oh, there's another level. <laughs> Just when you think you've got to the ultimate level, there's another level. <laughs> When, I with my friends we're not aging we're just upgrading like let's upgrading. <laughs> That's totally totally what we do so when it's it's really interesting that the there's usually a catalyst and and it's interesting that although at the time you read the power of now and you're like oh what a pile of poo my journey began with an nlp course um and the website that i read uh, about the NLP course that was that was like what a pile of crap this is mm -hmm. yeah this is a load of nonsense and then you go out and you go oh oh, <laughs> oh actually that was quite good <laughs> but it, it's interesting you say that because I feel like with what we do we get resistance ironically from people that need our help the most of course you do because when you have that closed mindset as I just shared my experience fear, anger, frustration, all these things build up because you don't have that outlet. And people are scared to let go. They think there's something scary that will happen when they just give in to an open mindset and approach. You know, I often say to people, you know, what if? Mm. And they'll say, oh, no, 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 that doesn't happen. That didn't happen. I don't believe that. And they're like, but what if you did? Mm. What if you did just come along and experience it? What what could be the worst thing that that could happen? And and I do feel that often it's the people that need help most are the ones that are the most resistant because we reflect back what we actually need most in our lives. You're so right. Now tell me about the pebble. I'm fascinated by <laughs> the pebble. So when I um first got together with Alex and Charlie, um, our the other two co-founders they had started the process of developing the moment pebble which was born out of charlie's experience of grief so he was suffering from the loss of his mother he had two uh, three children under the age of three he had a business it all just became a little bit overwhelming and so he started to do um, a headspace course all about kind of just finding a calmer mindset and in it andy pudicum had said if you can find an object to anchor using one of the NLP phrases to anchor your practice to just seeing that object will create an emotional attachment it's just the way we're wired as humans you think about the kid that needs that manky blanket otherwise hell breaks loose that never actually leaves us thankfully we don't carry manky blankets around with us but we might have a favorite piece of jewelry, the favorite mug that we have our tea out of. There are sentimental objects, wow. which let's face it, have no value, but we imbue a value onto them. Yeah. So that is the theory behind um, anchoring a, a calmer state, a meditative and soothing practice into an object. So Charlie went out to try and find one as a consumer and there wasn't anything available. So he thought about the things that he enjoyed doing with his mother. And one of those was going to the beach in Cornwall and they would always pick up pebbles and bring them home. And pebbles are thought to be very grounding. They come with memories of nice times at the seaside. There's an expansiveness and openness about being at the sea. Um, so he thought, I'm gonna create a pebble for myself because he wanted also something that was guided. Um, but something that the more you held it and the more you had it, the more it would have meaning. Mm. So that, that's where the pebble was, 
exactly. I have one here. I feel like oh, I'm good. One there. you prepared earlier. I like that. Prepared earlier. <laughs> so, um, what mm -hmm. the foam of pebble is is a. Uh, it's made of natural stone and marble. We didn't want to be adding any more plastic into the world. Um, and no two are the same. They're all individually hand marbled. Wow. It feels heavy. There's some weights in it. So it feels like a pebble you pick up off the beach. Yeah. But it's very smooth and it's got like a little groove here. You can just get your thumb into. And when you tap it three times, I'm in front of a huge window, but hopefully you can see okay. it starts to glow. Oh, I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. And oh. it's programmed with just a really simple breathing exercise. So you just follow the light and breathe in as it increases and I as the light begins to fade mm. and it takes you through five rounds of five um cardiac coherent breaths um at that point you can tap three times and it goes off and you've had just enough of a window to shift your mindset to drop into a different um energy and to move on with your day or you continue for a longer um guided um breath moment it also comes with a four-week program where we introduce mindfulness, meditation, journaling, emotional scale. There's even some yoga and movement on there just to give people the chance to explore what might work for them to do in a moment because we're all wired differently. The way we all got to our stress was different because our situations are all unique. We are all unique people. So our things that work for us might differ as well. So we want to be able to support people just to get curious just to see what works for them. So there's lots of guided sessions. We do weekly lives where we do five to 10 minutes on a Friday and Monday so people can check in and just take some time for themselves and just really support the fact that with just tiny little changes throughout your day, it can all add up to a big difference. Oh, I think that's amazing. I love that. What a wonderful idea. And it's so beautifully presented and packaged. Yeah, we're really, we're really proud of it. And also when we get feedback, you know, when you create something physical in the world, it can be a scary thing being an entrepreneur in this space. But the feedback we get is really, really special on how people are finding ways to bring moments into their life, situations where they might use the pebble. I mean, I, I had to speak at my cousin's funeral last year and I just held it as a soothing, grounding mm -hmm. moment before I go up and speak. It doesn't always have to follow the light sequence. But it's just a reminder just to take a break. Yeah, nice. That's really nice. So who are your clients? Who do you do this for? <laughs> so one of the first things I did when I joined the um, Alex and Charlie was that we were called the moment pebble. But what I quickly recognized that actually the power is in the moment mm. itself. The pebble is the vehicle. It's a reminder it's a beautiful um, premium product and it helps us through guiding those first moments. But actually the power is in what we do in that moment and then what we do thereafter. Mm. Are we nicer, kinder people? Are we thinking more thoughtfully? How can we use mindfulness in that space that we've created by taking a moment to show up in our relationships better? How can we feel happier? So what we've created is... Um, a series of program and workshops that sit around taking a moment. So the Moment Pebble itself is available for consumers to purchase. We're on all the usual Etsy, not on the high street, Amazon, and also on our own website. 
Um, but really our focus has grown to really help organizations and corporations um, by bringing well-being and therefore performance really to the forefront of their culture. We often hear um, organizations say, yes, we've got well-being covered. We got everybody an app and they're allowed a mental health day. That's great. That's a fantastic start. start. Yeah. But that's not putting wellness at the heart of how you talk to each other, your communication, your um, growth strategy to put wellness at the heart of conflict management, of change management. So we we do a series of workshops in um, organizations. We do a series of programs that take different teams through perhaps a challenge like communication. And we also do one-to-one mindset coaching for individuals that feel that they want um, to really understand more about how building their mental fitness mm-hmm. can work for them in the same way their physical fitness can. And if you think about people get personal trainers because they need that accountability, that responsibility, but also that tailored approach to where they're at in their health, we do the same for the mindset. So a long way of answering your question, our customers are everybody that has a mind, which isn't terribly helpful, but it is direct to consumer and it's also corporations. Cool, that's really good. Now, do you think that our mental health is getting worse or do you just think that we talk about it more and we're more open about it? I think both. Okay, okay. I I believe that we are under different pressures Mm -hmm. um, in today's society than we've ever been before. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's not to say that nobody had mental health issues before. The problem previously is that no one talked about it and it had a huge stigma attached to it. Mm -hmm. So I believe that people have always, um, there's always been, I mean, mean, as humans, Mm -hmm. we are predisposed to a negative mindset bias. It's just the way we're wired. The majority of our thoughts are negative. And if we're not taught the skills to catch those, to appreciate that and change those, then of course, those can escalate into being more serious situations. Now, I feel that there's a big difference between serious mental health problems of which we don't don't go to that end of the spectrum. We're not psychologists and we're not in the medical profession. We are coaches, but that's very different to my mind and what we're talking about here, which is building resilience, it's helping people get out of those negative mindsets, it's building confidence, it's improving communication, it's improving empathy, kindness. These are these are good human traits we should all want to have, but they kind of get stuck in a kind of mental health barrel where I feel that that spectrum is too broad. So I do think that there is an increase but it's we've also broadened the definition of what mental health issues are as well. But things like social media, lack of individual connection, um, scrolling on screens, less activity, all of those things do have a detrimental impact on our health. Massive and overwork. When I work in the corporate mm-hmm. world, uh, coaching and consulting, I just see the volume of work being unrealistically high for individuals to try and deal with. Um, and remember the days when you used to go to work. Yeah. Then you left work and you went home. Yeah. That was it because there was no way to contact you outside of the office hours. Now 
we're permanently attached to being on call yeah and the and the expectation of particularly large organizations I think and maybe in in the startup digital media world I don't know I've never been in that world that um you know you have to be on all the time and and I, I wonder I don't know where that comes from because the world doesn't fall over if you're not on all the time <laughs> it actually probably gets a bit easier and do you do you wonder and this is a genuine question because I do think about these things whether um we've just got into this really odd habit of thinking that we must be on all the time otherwise the world will end and organizations collectively get that sort of belief and and don't I don't know whether they understand how to detach themselves from that belief Ooh. I know it's big it's Thursday afternoon expectation is a good word right that um and, and also rewards. So I believe, I mean, I, I, I've, I've worked, when I say digital media startups, one of my startups grew to be worth a billion dollars and 750 people. I also worked for CNN. I worked in The Guardian and the FT. So I have had experience of kind of the corporate world as well. And I think one of the things that strikes me now on reflection, but also with what we're doing with moments in terms of cultural exploration, is that we reward the wrong behaviours. Okay. So there's there's this competitive lateness. Oh, that person's doing great. You know, they really work hard because whenever I get to them at 10 o'clock at night, they always get back to me or they look at that person. Aren't they fantastic? They're first in and last out. Actually, they're the people we might want to be taken aside and saying, is everything okay? Yeah. yeah. Do you need some more training? Because there's no reason why we're 20, we need to be 24 seven. There is no reason. No. Unless we're doing bad jobs as leaders. Yeah. And our jobs as businesses, we're either understaffed or we don't have the right resources and, and um, tools and skills to ensure that our teams don't have to do that. Or we've created bad environments where the wrong behaviors are rewarded. There's also a fact that maybe some people don't want to go home. Is there a reason why they might be avoiding and staying time in the office? Like the, to me, there is no, if we're all operating in an efficient fashion as an organization, it shouldn't be 24-7. There's nothing for it. And so there's many layers to that. So I think that expectation, but also the rewarding of the wrong behaviors has allowed that to kind of escalate to a point where we all think that we need to be doing those things. Mm. And I think that's the other thing. There's a lot of shame, guilt, and fear wrapped up in being the person that steps out from those behaviors. Well, I don't have any children, but I know my friends who've got kids would feel guilty by the fact they would have to run out early to pick up the kids, mm. even though they'd be back on their laptops at night. And arguably their output, which is more important than the hours they put in, was far and away above anybody else because everybody else was in the pub instead of being on the laptop in the evening. But we just have a very skewed way about looking at what success looks like. And, and I think perhaps what COVID has started the conversation, but certainly not there yet, is really looking at outcome, mm. really looking at productivity. And if someone can do that in four hours a day, great. I know. They've got balance. And then they're more likely to be productive the next day. That's what they've done something for themselves. So yeah, that's 
That's my take yeah, on it. Yeah, yeah. My when I ran my recruitment business, the most productive people I had worked three days a week. Really? Yeah, because they did they did everything they do in three days. They were the my highest fee earners, so I made the most profit out of them as well. And I've never understood why people because whenever you see part time workers. They they knock their pan in on the days that they're there because because they're really focused. And then then, yeah, I think you get the most work out of them. Now, not everybody can be part time. I understand that. And that's absolutely fine. Uh, But there has to be an understanding. And I think I think you've hit the nail on the head, Fiona, in that the the wrong kind of behaviours are being rewarded. And I think until that changes, then we're not going to see much change. It's really interesting that um, people associate um, sort of this presenteeism still, still, we're still talking about that. Um, I thought that had ended years ago, but it hasn't instead of what are the outcomes you've created? And if the outcomes you've created are in line with our uh, objectives as an organisation, happy days. Great. (laughs) And then, you know, and then we can do more of meeting objectives and less of being off sick and less of having to support people when they fall over. Um, I I know it can be seen sometimes, you know, a little woo woo. Hmm. But I don't understand why it's a bad thing to want a happier workplace. No, me neither. A happier life. You know, they, they, these are, you know, these softer words, these more emotive words that are down, that are up on the great end of the emotional scale, the joy, the happiness, the playfulness. Yeah. They're kind of words that business don't want to be associated with. But actually, if everybody, if more people felt like that and more organizations strive to have that as their culture, all ships rise. It changes yeah. nature. It changes behavior. It changes the way we reward people. It By default, I always say that the minute you start to change your own behavior, it becomes reflected back in the conversations you have very, very quickly. Very quickly. Oh God, I had my moment there going to the House of Commons and trying to sort the world out, but that's maybe a step too far. Come back, Faith. But if you imagine that if organizations just... Can I come with you to the House of Commons? <laughs> imagine if organizations, politicians, whoever, just acted with that little bit more kindness, with that thoughtfulness, with the goal of happiness or or even just curiosity being at the center of their, 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 their culture and their objectives, their the, the customers respond differently. Customers okay. would want to gravitate to an organization that that was part of of their ethos um but sadly i feel like we're still not there with with a number of organizations and i i I do believe that until we change some of that patriarchal layer then it's going to be very difficult to penetrate that so my my goal is to work with more men like that that you know know they need to change but are scared to and don't know how to but just a few things can make a big difference to their relationships and therefore the success of their business as well you have thrown down that gauntlet now. I have. I, have. <laughs> I would love to go into Westminster and sort them all. It's a big task. It's maybe too much. Maybe we like a band of us need to do it together, arm in arm. <laughs> yeah. So I'm um, just out of curiosity because curiosity is the primary 
sort of attitude for NLP. Who did you do NLP training with? Uh, Robbie Steinhuis at NLP school. Oh, I don't know him. Don't, was it the Grindelwald? Oh, Robert Dilts. Yeah. Okay. So I came at it from the Bandler end. Um, I, I, I must do a, a Robert Dilts end version course. because doing one at the beginning of October if you're interested. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that sounds quite nice. Yeah, because I've not done one from that end of the spectrum and it would be really interesting to do it. I'm sure there are loads of similarities and a few differences as well. But yeah, fascinating. Oh, good. Where are you taking the moment company? Well, as I said, apart from trying to solve yeah. the world and the, and the, the patriarchal mindset, um, our goal really is, at the moment is to, is to reach as many people as we can with our message that it's easy. There are mm. very few barriers to taking small steps every day that can, can really make a difference. So our objective is to, to get into organizations that are keen to understand, not just, as I say, to stick a badge and say, we do wellness, but to really understand how it can uh, drive culture and how it can ultimately drive success in an organization. So we wanna be uh, working with more businesses in the UK and then ultimately to take that outside of the UK. Our product can be shipped anywhere in the world. So we'd love to see more individuals trying it out for themselves. And I really would love to see more schools as well. We do have a number of schools in the UK um, that use the Pebble as a kind of timeout tool in the classroom. A way to break down the stigma of saying, I'm stressed, I'm angry, I don't know how I feel, but I need to take a moment. And I feel like the same way we could get the, the guys at the top, if we can get the kids of today more open and understanding about how to connect with their emotions, they're going to be the ones that change the world in 20 years time. So kind of topping and tailing um, nice. that way. Well, do it's good. Many children. Uh, do I have children? No, do I you have... work with any children? Oh, no, I don't. I don't, I don't work. I have three of my own. That's plenty. <laughs> much. I have worked with children. I've certainly worked with children as long, young as nine um, with anxiety. And, and I call it perfectionism, actually, when I see it in kids, because they're so worried about getting things wrong that it produces anxiety uh, and I've worked with teenagers uh, around anxiety and phobias as yeah. well yeah. Um, and and my best oh, the most wonderful result because I'm a, an, a licensed trainer of NLP and my best result was this young woman she was 19 absolutely hemmed in by her anxiety and fears wouldn't say boo to a goose would barely go out wouldn't give you eye contact very underconfident and she came on the seven day licensed practitioner course uh with me and she by the end of it she looked different she sounded different she went off to university full of confidence and hope and and it was like yes that's amazing um, so the younger you write, the younger you can get people, the more you can set them up to understand that actually you can control. You, most people don't understand that you can control your brain. The only thing you can. I know. But everything but, else you can. <laughs> you're not taught how to do it, are you? No. No, no. I, I only learned when I was 36. And it's like, why, why is, why has nobody taught me this stuff? It's you know, so cool. It's interesting, you know, 
about I, I wish I'd known what I know now. My 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 goddaughter is 14 and oh my gosh, she devours all the books I send her. She does moments, she journals, and I just think she's gonna rule the world because I wish I'd known what she knew at her age. I think it's so special the way that she can communicate because she has these tools and that's what they are, their skills and their tools. Conversely, my 77-year-old mother, the more that I practice, the more that she's kind of got interested as well. And a few years ago, she turned around to me and said, I wish I'd known all of this 30 years ago. However, by doing this, I now know that the only time I can actually feel joy is right now. So it's better that I've learned now than not at all. Balling. But but it's true, right? Because you only ever have the moment. So she can still see that she can bring these practices in and has changed the way that she lives her life now. And that's the most important gift that she's given herself as well. So you can definitely, you're never too old, I guess is the message. No, no. Warren Buffett's statement, 20 years ago was the best time to plant an acorn. The next best time is today. Yeah. So yeah, quite right. Beautiful place to end on. I love that story <laughs> about your mom. Thank you, Fiona. And Thank yeah, ch change the world a pebble at a time <laughs> when you're ready to march on Westminster with your loveliness. Give me <laughs> I don't a know where I came from. I might regret seeing that. I I'll be right next year. I know loads of other people, as I'm sure you do, who'll be right there with you going, look, can we just be nicer to each other, please? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rebecca. It's been, been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneurial Journey podcast. We hope you really enjoyed that guest. Remember to go to our website, tricrest.com, T-R-I-C-R-E-S.com. Find out about becoming a partner with us. Uh, find out about how to engage with us to help grow and scale your business to the next level. And discover more on our online platform, Fuel My Business. Remember to subscribe to the podcast here and we'll see you again for the next episode. Bye.